Welcome to City Tech Stories, a podcast highlighting the experiences and voices of the City Tech community. Each episode will center around a theme and include perspectives from across the college. In this episode, Nora is talking with Tosa Hassan, who is the Civic Engagement Coordinator for Nyberg, and Abigail Thomas, who is the current City Tech SGA President. They'll be discussing voter advocacy work and the aspects of upcoming local elections. Let's just do intros. So do you want to start, Abigail, and just introduce yourself and um, the role that you have in the Student Government Association at City Tech? Okay, yeah. Um, my name is Abigail Thomas. I am probably like fourth year senior by now or third year going into fourth year. Believe it or not, I managed to survive this long. I am currently the SGA Vice President of External Affairs, but as of the end of June, that ends beginning of July. I am the actual president of the student government, and that's the role I'll be effectively playing this month going into next month. Great. Uh, Tausif, over to you. Yeah, hey, everyone. Um, so my name is Tausif Asan. I'm the Civic Engagement Coordinator uh, at NYPIRG. Uh, we organize students here at City College, um, as well as schools all over the state. Um, yeah, we've, you know, still been doing our thing, uh, organizing students uh, digitally. We've been having a lot of success. Definitely been harder. Um, but, you know, I'd love to talk to you about the work that we've been doing, especially getting students involved in the um, efforts to vote. Awesome. Can you just for our listeners who don't know what NYPIRG is, can you can you tell us that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so NYPIRG, uh, my bad. Uh, so NYPIRG is a, a student-directed nonprofit organization here in New York State. Stands for New York Public Interest Research Group. Uh, not the most um, smooth acronym, I know. Uh, but we do a lot of good work. Essentially, it's our job to represent student voices um, in Albany and in City Hall, uh, passing legislation uh, for issues that students are passionate about, the climate crisis, um, for democracy, for public transit advocacy, and so much more. So I'm, you know, very happy to be here to talk to you about the work that our organization has been doing, um, getting students involved in the efforts to vote uh, during during this time. Great. Yeah. So maybe we can just like continue on that um, conversation with you. You talked a little bit in terms of like the work that you do. So you, you said you're the civic engagement coordinator. So like on the ground, what kind of work are you doing with students? And I guess how does like voter advocacy, like what specific voter and political advocacy projects are you engaged with over at NYPER? Well, yeah. So, and just to be clear, when you say on the ground, do you mean like, um, like now during the COVID crisis, or did you want to know about, you know, what, what outreach looked like before then? Yeah, you could talk about a little bit about both. Like I have a question down the line, which we can either get to organically or not. You can do like the pre post, or you can talk about like what, I guess what you're doing now. And then like kind of how formerly you did things. I know that you also did a lot of like visits to Albany in the past and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So our whole our whole model is based on um, organizing CUNY students on campus. Um, Our pitch is basically, you know, if you're going to school and you still want, um, you know, some kind of experience where you're learning about politics in New York State, where you uh, learn about how to organize your own community, um, you could do that while still going to school by signing up with NYPIRG as an intern or a volunteer. It's definitely something that, you know, I mentioned before, I was a city college student. Um, and I was, able, I was able to take classes and still organize at the same time, right? So we basically offer students an opportunity uh, to get involved with our uh, political programming 
um, while they're still students. So you could go to classes and register students to vote. You could take your exams and uh, get students to fill out petitions. And so our model is, uh, you know, we have an office and a chapter um, at different campuses at City College. It's in the NAC building uh, on the first floor, right around the corner from the um, college radio station, in fact. Um, and uh, we would organize students um, by, you know, bringing them into our weekly meetings. We would train them on, um, you know, organizing techniques like how to talk to people, how to clipboard, how to lobby your legislators. Um, and we basically, you know, help them build these skills uh, while working on political campaigns that students as a, as a student-directed board with uh, members from all across the state, um, you know, these are the students who decide what issues we want to work on. Um, and so every single year, democracy is always a big priority, right? We want students to vote. We want students to know what their choices are, what their democratic rights are. And so um, just sticking to that one subject, um, every single fall, we have this huge um, voter registration drive, right? Um, voter turnout and voter registration is notoriously low among uh, young people. And since most students are young people, um, this is really something that we take pride in because we want to address that specific problem. And so we literally just go around the school and we go up to students when they're in like the lobby or when they're in the hallways and we just go up to them with a clipboard, right? Hey, uh, my name is Talisif. I'm with NYPER. We're just registering students to vote right now. Are you registered, right? We also uh, work with uh, the administration and professors to uh, schedule um, what we call class wraps. So we might might just come in at the beginning of the class and do a quick voter registration drive for the class. So we work with faculty, we work with professors, and we also just have students um, and project coordinators like I was once uh, myself, uh, just working to you know, reach as many students as possible on campus. We, all, we would also work with clubs as well. So if clubs also want us to come in and do a quick voter registration drive, we could do that too. We basically you know, try to figure out what we can do to try to reach as many students as possible whether it's while they're in class, uh, while they're in their clubs, or, you know, whether they're just hanging around uh, in the lobby, they got nothing else to do. We'll just go up to them and uh, see if they have some capacity to get involved. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, we can, we can definitely, if, do you want to get in the, we can get into the pandemic stuff. I know that's probably looks a little different right now. That, that's what I was about to do. Yeah. So if we want to do that now, it's fine. If we want to uh, do that later, that's fine too. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's like, that's how it was, right? I mean, I, I was just going to say that the library at City Tech, we've been, we've partnered with NYPERG in the past. Um, you know, we have an office on our campus too, on the voter registration stuff. So like, we, we always traditionally would have like a stack of voter registration forms, you know, at the reference desk and a table on campus with NYPERG during club hour and try to get students to register that way too, and do a lot of, you know, voter rights kind of programming and displays. Great. Yeah. So that's just here from Abigail. And we'll definitely get into pandemic because I'm sure that's changed both of your organizing um, and engagement work a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, Abigail, could you just talk a little bit about oh, yeah. the work that you um, have done and are maybe are hoping to do as the incoming president of the Student Government Association at City Tech? And then oh, yeah. you know, how uh, political stuff kind of fits in that bucket. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, that bucket's rather big. So there's a lot of stuff to fit in there. But uh, so my work as far as student government, I actually was passionate when I came into this about getting people engaged and getting like grassroots movement among students from the beginning. 
and it shows in the way, the way I campaigned, but also the position I originally campaigned for. When I came in, like, not last year, but the year before to actually run for office, I ran for the student of the student senator of accessibility because it was the least sought after position. It had the least formal like structure to it. The other senators were dedicated to their schools overall. So they had a first deal with that and their deans and so forth. But they really had no like room to really cover huge ground and cover things like inclusivity and intersectionality, which were key points I wanted to hit. And I did as soon as I came in. I was saying, we need to do student grants. We need more student inclusivity. We need, we need to think about, like, we have a center of accessibility. We need to give them a bit more power. We need to create other senators or committees that also cover different points of inclusivity. We need, a, we need an area for LGBTQI. We need an area for ethnic minorities. We need an area for people of color. These are significant issues that are being blindsided uh, in the student government and more importantly, by the school's administration, who's actually taking this money and spending it based on what the students supposedly want. But if the students have no connection, what does the administration know of what the students want? So that was like, but from there, I kept on opening my mouth. I shot into VP of student organization. Then from there to like the VP of external affairs in my last two months. So it's been a fun ride. I've done a lot to engage with the clubs to keep them engaged, to keep them interested, to try and get them engaged in different issues. Like if I was talking to engineering and it was Black History Month, like, do you guys have any interest in this? What can you do to, like, highlight engineering and Black lives at the same time? And you can ask a lot of people who sat on the committee. I, I took the clubs out of their comfort zone. I'm like, when do you want to meet? Come on, let's have a Zoom session. And I literally had informal Zoom sessions all the time, and I was meeting with them. And it's that type of energy in that that keep people engaged, whether it's remotely or on foot. And it's the one thing people miss here because you have to be the motivator. And that's one thing I'm, I'm bringing into this presidency while still like vice chair of CUNY Coalition for Students with Disabilities, which did a lot last year. We made sure like, to highlight black lives, LGBTQ lives. Of course, we have a chair who's openly gay. We have me, an executive vice chair, who's openly transgender. But we made sure come November that we highlighted transgender black lives and transgender lives of color because intersectionally, they are hit with so much violence and needless violence. And I'm like, I, I used to run like the transgender community page on Facebook, which I somehow ended up inheriting. I literally run it, has 10,000 people following it on the surface. Under the surface, it's got like countless people 
And I get like, sometimes I get messages overnight from people from different countries. I'm getting into a whole other topic. But the point is, I see the impact. When I first started that page, one of the first things I did was make sure to highlight the loss of transgender lives. And I saw the significant amount of trans, black transgender lives, black transgender women that were being lost. But more than that, I read into their stories intimately and got to see how they were being lost. They were not what they were being painted out to be. These were young women who were going to college who just happened to go to a hotel room with a guy they met. Something very common. And usually the majority of them would get sexually assaulted, then murdered. And that's pretty scary by itself. But to imagine the numbers this happens on, literally, one, it, it's like the sexual assault numbers are high enough. But when you consider one out of two of those women end up dead the next day, that's staggering. So yeah, it's like that's the one thing. And that and my previous college experience, which was overshadowed by like my struggles with disability and the lack of accessibility I was offered, give me this thing, I just want to fight for inclusivity. I want this open. People of color, people of disability, people of LGBTQI experiences, and so on. We need this open. And the more I drive it, the more I see the problems. I thought it was just like they're not being included. But now I'm finding one of the reasons you don't see a lot of people fighting, and I find this by anonymous surveys and that, is a lot of these people, disabled, LGBTQI, people of color, people of ethnic minorities, are simply afraid or they're disinterested because they don't feel it has consequence. And so my thing of reaching out and getting up here and talking, as many people as I make sick with this, and hopefully the many more people sitting in power I make uncomfortable with this is to make sure those people are included because people who have positions should be uncomfortable that this huge portion of people who have been historically marginalized are not even able to get basic rights. That should make them uncomfortable. Getting up there and actually championing that is, is like my priority. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you're drawing not only from like your own personal experience, but a lot of the sort of things that are happening in political spaces right now, um, you know, in, yeah, because, in our society. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think when you get older and, mm -hmm. and you start to inherit like all these experiences and then you have them to cross reference and look at someone experiencing something, let's say, a person of color, a black man who got harassed by the, by the police, not the one who gets killed that goes in the papers, but the regular everyday one who's just so anxious about walking outside of their house. That, and when do you realize how much those experiences cross, like, intersect your own and that's a point of intersectionality by the way it's to say we all have certain marginalizations and privileges yeah and it sounds like you're obviously you're 
experience resonates with other students since you're, you know, in this position now and, and that your advocacy is like reaching people or maybe creating a space in which people feel more empowered. So that's really impactful. You know, thank you, know, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, you talked a little bit about, obviously, about the main kind of political and social issues that you're kind of centering in terms of your advocacy work, Abigail. Um, Tasso, if you want to talk a little bit about some of the political and social issues that you have seen st- CUNY students really engage with that seem to be kind of flashpoints in, in the work that you've done with NYPERG. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I just want to start out by saying that, uh, you know, CUNY students uh, represent a very specific demographic. Um, most CUNY students uh, come from low-income households. Um, I believe the last quote that I know is that over half of CUNY students come from households uh, that make less than $30,000, which is just really, like, mind-boggling if you think about it, um, you know, wh- how much money it takes to, like, raise a family. Um, over 70% of CUNY students um, are non-white, and many CUNY students come from immigrant families. So, uh, you know, when it comes to class and race, CUNY students come from uh, specific experience, right? Um, I myself am, you know, a low-income New Yorker who is also an immigrant, so I could definitely relate um, to that experience. And, um, you know, coming from that kind of experience, CUNY students are definitely sensitive to matters of uh, class justice, economic justice, and racial justice. So um, what we do is, you know, we give them an opportunity to really uh, work on issues that intersect, um, you know, with those kinds of injustices that students are experiencing and want to fight against. Um, And so uh, when it comes to the kind of work that we do, right, um, whether it's environmental justice or transit justice, we highlight those things, right? We talk about how uh, when it comes to the climate crisis, for example, uh, here in New York City, as well as around the world, it's always poor people and people of color uh, who take the brunt of, um, you know, climate catastrophes when they come. Uh, that kind of sounds abstract. So I like that. Well, I don't like it. It's, it's tragic. But here in New York City, we have examples um, that are very fresh in people's minds that we could draw uh, upon. Um, I'm definitely expecting that this summer, uh, just like we had in the past two summers, Con Edison will not be managing the power grid properly, right? And uh, New Yorkers um, will experience power outages. But Um, You know, those New Yorkers are not going to be, you know, just kind of evenly across the spectrum. The New Yorkers that were uh, left in the dust were largely uh, poor New Yorkers and New Yorkers of color in neighborhoods like Canarsie in Brooklyn, for example, right, Um, where there are a lot of uh, black New Yorkers and a lot of low income New Yorkers. Um, Con Edison purposefully uh, takes out power from those kinds of neighborhoods to keep wider, wealthier neighborhoods alight. We don't have those massive widespread power outages in the Upper West Side, uh, for example, right? And this has happened for the past two summers. And this is definitely a climate crisis issue because our planet is getting hotter and hotter. We're going to experience more extreme heat waves. And Con Edison, Um, you know, with their ties to the fossil fuel industry, they have not invested in their power grid. They have not updated it enough um, to really deal with these problems, right? And so that's one, you know, example of an issue that resonates with students, right? Yes, the climate crisis is a huge global catastrophe, but think about the, you know, racial justice implications. Think about the class justice implications. And when they see it that way, they really understand, oh, okay, yes, the climate crisis affects me as a New Yorker and as a citizen of the world, right? But also, you know, me being a person of color, 
uh, you know, who doesn't make a lot of money in New York City, I'm particularly vulnerable uh, when the next Hurricane Sandy hits, for example, or, you know, this summer when we expect these power outages to to hit. So we always um, remind students of these, uh, you know, intersectional dimensions to our advocacy. And, you know, because today, you know, you wanted me to talk about um, you know, voter justice, the same kind of principles apply, right? Who votes the most often? It's uh, generally older voters, uh, whiter voters, wealthier voters. And because they vote more often, they have a disproportionate impact on who our representatives are and what kind of laws we see pass, right? And so we tell them, you know, when we're registering students to vote here in CUNY, um, we're not just registering anyone to vote, right? We're registering students to vote from a population that has been disproportionately disenfranchised um, by decades of policies, right, that leave low-income voters and voters of color uh, in the dust. And as students, they're particularly uh, impacted as well because they're younger voters. And, you know, when you turn 18, there isn't some magical, you know, course that you go through that, you know, kind of updates you on what your rights are as a voter, what you need to know in order to exercise those rights effectively. You're just thrown into this world. And so, you know, something something that always like really, um, really like opens uh, students eyes every single semester. If you're a student who's kind of like politically like inclined, you probably know what like a like a primary is. Right. The election that happens before the general. Um, but every single year right, when we're talking to students and if there's a primary election that year, we like to tell them, you know, yeah, watch out for this. Right. We live in a closed primary state, which means you have to register in a party if you want to vote with that party's, uh, you know, uh, vote in that party's primary. And these are, you know, things that people who are kind of already political take for granted. So many students at CUNY have no idea what a primary is. Right. And it's just not their fault because no one told them. But if you come from a different background, once again, if you come from a neighborhood that had those political resources all this time, you probably know what a primary is and you're probably really ready and set to exercise your rights to the max. And so um, these are the kinds of issues that we remind students that are always at stake, right? Whether you're fighting for voter rights, environmental rights, uh, or even fighting for improving buses and subways, right? Remember that it's poor New Yorkers and New Yorkers of color um, who are always disproportionately impacted by these issues. And that's why as CUNY students, that comes from a population that really has an opportunity to organize New Yorkers of color and poor New Yorkers, we really need to take that opportunity and make sure that we reach as many people as we can. Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, I think this year, I think even just like reminding students that all like all of these issues are always on the ballot too, right? Because who you elect to be your representative then impacts the policy that impacts environmental justice issues or housing justice issues. And so just a reminder to our listeners that one of the reasons that we really want to do this podcast today is that we have a really important primary election coming up um, in New York City on June 22nd and early voting is starting this weekend on June 12th. And it's really a, a, a huge one because the city council is turning over and a lot of people don't care about their city council rep. And I was knocking on doors yesterday for District 39 in Brooklyn because uh, the city council is the lowest person in government. So they're the person that you can really directly get in contact with. And they have decision-making power over like, if your neighborhood is rezoned, if there are like environmental issues in your neighborhood, if there are like, I mean, my, I live in, a, in Gowanus and we have a 
a huge rezoning coming through and a lot of brownfields. And I want to get, and we have a frack gas plant that they're trying to open at the state level. And there's, you know, local legislators can fight against that. So we need a good candidate over here in 39, you know? So I think everybody sees these changes in their neighborhood and they don't realize that they can do something about it by electing a person that represents their values and that these things can actually make a big difference. So especially because the city council is so going to turn it over, you know, we're getting a lot of new city council members because a lot of people are term limited. And of course, there's a mayoral candidates on the ballot and a new borough president for wherever you live. So there's many candidates and all of them have like big policy decisions. So I, yes, I just want to be like, everyone should vote. The primary election is coming up on the 22nd. Please go vote. Primaries matter so much in local elections. And even like the judicial candidates, people don't realize the courts, all of them are on the ballot and these issues are all on the ballot. So that's my, like my little diatribe. So let's move a little bit in, ter- in terms of like how you're reaching students. It sounds like, um, you know, a lot of your engagement strategies have been campus-based at NYPIRG. And um, Abigail, you can talk about this too. We can just kind of go back and forth. But um, strategies that you use to reach students maybe traditionally, get students engaged in issues, which you talked about a little bit already, and, and inspire them to turn out to the polls in particular. And then how, how this has evolved or changed, I guess, during the pandemic. And I know that your experience is different because it sounds like like Abigail, a lot of the work you've been doing is more since the pandemic. So maybe you have, if you want to start out and talk about how you've been reaching out to students, getting students engaged in issues that you care about. Um, And then we can hear from Towsip in terms of like how the work of Nightbird has maybe changed their models or outreach strategy in terms of the pandemic. As far as outreach, here's my thing. You really have to have an organization there to begin with. Um, for outreach, and this is one of the first things I took up when I entered CCSD last year as executive vice chair of finance, and I've only continued in, like, my promotion. A lot of this is, like, CCSD was already out there. They already had a name, but we started, like, amping up the things we were doing, like distance movie nights, having a a once-a-week movie night where students can come and congregate, watch a movie, get together, socialize, talk about what they like and don't like. Because when you get this, when you get this feeling of community, when you actually get students interested, they're more likely to come out for the ranked choice voting. And and they're like, Black Lives Matter. And they're like, this is Pride Month. Come celebrate us. Or when you celebrate like actual union leaders, who have something to say, they're much more likely to come out. And this is how they become educated and informed and empowered. And and I think this is an important way of shaping it. It's like you have to take those small steps in order to enable the far grander plan of things. And and this is something often missed. Like Towson said about being like in a certain income bracket, I'm there. And a lot of the times, like when I first ran for campus, I love what I did with that. I scraped into my, the bottom of my pocket to actually get those votes. I put up color flyers that I paid for. I wasn't going down to like student services and getting this printed. And that set me back quite a bit. But you do it because you're passionate about this work, because you're coming from there and you know what it is. And you know why they need to be empowered. You know why they need to get out and vote. And you know why, even though they may be petrified at times, why they got to stand up and speak to their senators and congressmen. 
because this is their life and this is their future. And if they don't get up and stand up and speak, if they don't get up and stand there and vote, it's not going to take shape. It's going to take shape that someone else said to that. And, and that's the significance here. So it's sort of like I scraped or, or like with CCSD now, a lot for before I became vice chair, a lot of what we did was with teeny URL. I'm like, I know better than this. I, I can like, we can get a domain name and I can literally make redirects. And it only cost me a couple of bucks. It's a couple of bucks I probably don't have, but I can scrape it up, put it together, and then can do re redirects. So now, where we used to do teeny URL slash blah, 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 we literally are branded. It's like blah, 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 dot ccsdadvocates.com. So I control, like, it's branding power. Now we can get out there and make more of an impact. And that's significant because all those 11,000 students with disabilities, and those are only the ones registered, have regularly been marginalized along with people of ethnic minority and people of color and people of LGBTQI. And being on both intersectionalities in more than one way, and not only that, I'm, I'm also Italian and ethnically slash Ashkenazi Jew. So... I'm like covering multiple like points on this. So I basically get it, you know, and, and being below a certain income level, you get even more because that amplifies the experiences you have under these labels. They're not there for us to say, oh, cool, we're this. They're there because regularly we've been marginalized for these reasons. So they're labels to say, hey, this is what I suffer from. It's like an illness. It's a social illness. We've suffered under this because society has said we're less than because of it. So it's our way of labeling and saying, yeah, that's been the illness society has had over us for quite some time that has kept us down. Now let's get something there to balance out the equity so that we can get the same treatment that this guy across the street who's white, hetero, et cetera, et cetera, yet when he goes into like for a job. And, and yeah, I, the social component is really is awesome. Like the way that you're conceptualizing this idea that you need a community and like you need a record, like even just like the idea that you need a, a digital space or a visual thing, you know, in a place where students can go to talk to each other as like just a fundamental part of advocacy work. Like, because yeah, I mean, getting people to show up is, is hard, especially online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously. And I think it's also like, yeah, you really have to like reach them. And then I don't know, like you have to, like I said, do those basic things, get them engaged with the day to day. And then you'll be able to grab them with the grander component, which we've also done. We've gotten them in for like multiple sessions on ranked choice voting. We've gotten them in on multiple sessions. Why Black Lives Matter? Why this needs to be touched on? We've gotten them on like multiple like sessions. Why LGBTQ is so important. And in CCSD, we really don't need to explain why disability is so important. I think this group of anything should know. And if you met Leonard Blades, you'd understand. 
but yeah, it, and it's like it once you start getting them engaged, it it's so profound because then they go aha, and then they know why the primary is important. I think the only other two things to add to that is why you're engaging them. You have to also like emphasize the importance of why they want to be informed. Like there are a lot of times things are framed in the ballot where it's like it seems that the issue would be ecology. So voting for this will be make more green. But then the same thing will take away housing. So then it's a double issue, and the way it's framed sounds beneficial, but then if you vote, you may take away certain housing that otherwise would have benefited economically disparaging individuals who can't get that housing the same way. And, and this is, like, important, and we've done a lot of work on that. And it's also reaching people privilege and making them realize why black lives matter to them as well. Because a lot of the time, it's not that they don't want to, it's just they don't see the point. Like the old expression goes, the old adage, the one sign, the one good sign of privilege is when something just doesn't register. It's true. It's like, what do you mean? All women are treated equally. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. That's like that's a lot of things, but it sounds like you're being pretty successful at reaching at reaching people even as we're dispersed. So yeah, I mean, you talked a bunch to uh, Tausif, sorry, um, about registering students to vote on campus. And I know you have great um, voter rights materials, especially considering like, the immigrant population at CUNY. Um, so how has the pandemic kind of changed this work? And I know that um, Abigail just mentioned the rank choice stuff. So I don't know if you're doing any specific education stuff as well surrounding uh, the rank choice voting and how that is kind of playing into this year's um, primary election season. You know, organizers get into this kind of work um, because uh, they really enjoy talking to people for the most part. Um, and uh, it's really hard when you have to organize and that core component is of, you know, face-to-face -face outreach um, is taken away from you. Um, you know, things are kind of changing now. People are doing more in-person things, tabling, knocking on doors, so on and so forth. Uh, but definitely uh, in the beginning of the pandemic, um, it was a challenge. Um, we basically had to uh, transfer as much of our program as we could um, to a digital only uh, platform. And so um, usually, right, uh, when we're organizing college students, um, we have access to the physical space of the campus, right? We could talk to students in um, the hallways, in the cafeterias, uh, in classrooms and in club rooms, right? Um, but because that was no longer available to us, we had to, you know, basically see what digital spaces uh, we could create and um, become a part of. And so um, one thing that we did is uh, we reached out to professors and um, we asked them if they would let us 
uh, join their Zoom classes and uh, make a digital announcement um, instead of us coming into their physical classes and making a similar announcement. Uh, we did the same thing for uh, clubs. Uh, clubs were still meeting, um, not all, but some were still meeting digitally during this time. And so we just reached out to clubs and said, hey, if you guys are having a meetup, uh, could we come and talk about this issue for a couple of minutes? Um, and uh, the, um, the other thing that I'll mention is uh, faculty um, and administration have also done their best um, during this difficult time to continue to foster, um, you know, a digital community for students, right? And so we would also work with faculty and administrators uh, to be a part of any uh, digital club fairs or any other uh, digital events that were happening so that we could say our piece and also reach out to students that way. Um, and on top of that, um, one thing that I think um, was very helpful, um, once again, in a tragic way, is that, you know, because of the pandemic, um, many um, internship opportunities were no longer available to students. Um, but we actually continued to offer our internship, um, albeit in a digital only, um, you know, format. Um, but many students are always looking for internships, right, to not just build their skills, but also build their resume. And so we reached out to faculty and let them know, hey, we're still running our internship. And so they were very happy, right? The faculty, I, I know for many campuses were like, oh, that's so great to hear because a lot of our internships were no longer running during this time. But uh, since you guys are still up and running, we'll definitely um, send some students your way. So uh, because we were really one of the only, um, you know, extracurricular organizations um, like this that continue to offer um, our programming digitally, uh, we were able to kind of uh, fill that space and we did our best to provide an online community for students. Um, as a campus organizer uh, myself during this time, um, I, I really took seriously the idea that, you know, these were students who really were looking forward to um, experiencing some kind of community on their campus, right? And I wanted to do my best uh, to provide them with uh, some kind of experience like that. And, you know, I was honest with them, right? Like this is not as good as us in a room, you know, really getting to know each other and really building this connection throughout the semester. Um, but given the pandemic, I, I, you know, I think it's the next best thing. And I'm really thankful for the relationships that I've built uh, with students from all over the state as well as my local chapter uh, that I organized. Um, you know, we would meet up with each other once or twice a week on Zoom, we would talk about the projects that we were working on. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't in person, but I think we were successful in creating a sense of community, right? Students were able to get to know each other, right? These were friends that they were able to make in a digital space. Um, and, you know, after all was said and done, it was like really sad, right? That the semester was over and, oh, we're not going to have these chapter meetings anymore. And so I think that's really a testament to um, the success of our, you know, community building exercise uh, throughout the semester. Was it ideal? Uh, no, but did we do our best? Yeah, we just had to hustle. We had to reach out to as many students as we could. And those who are really interested, um, you know, they really stuck around as interns and volunteers. And they were really helpful, um, you know, in helping us spread the message. Um, and just like, you know, doing a lot of great things on campus. Um, we were still, you know, able to register a lot of students to vote. We didn't hand them a clipboard with a voter registration form, but we were able to give them the link to register to vote. Um, and, you know, that was basically the story, right? Instead of signing an in-person petition, we gave them a link to some kind of digital action. So we just kind of transferred all of our actions as much as we could into some sort of digital format. 
Now, uh, to talk a little bit about um, the uh, specific challenges of uh, ranked choice voting, um, man, oh man, I, uh, in addition to ranked choice voting, I also worked on um, the census. And that was also another really big tragedy, right? Uh, it was a really big time that New York City just really needed to mobilize as many people as possible around this big issue. And we ended up losing a congressional seat to, um, what was it, like uh, like 40 or like 80 people? Like some some really small, like sub 100 number, right? Um, yeah, that was really tragic. We, we did our best, but you know, all you can do is your best in these historic tragedies, right? Um, and, and so ranked choice voting was another example of that, right? Like it's a new system of voting that many New Yorkers are unfamiliar with, right? We're actually part of the advocacy effort uh, to get ranked choice voting on the ballot. And we really push New Yorkers to vote yes on ranked choice voting. And so we're really proud that it um, was uh, passed. Um, but the challenge is how do we mobilize and educate um, you know, students and New Yorkers around ranked choice voting uh, with the challenge of, you know, the coronavirus pandemic, right? Um, and once again, we just did our best. We reached out to as many professors as we could uh, to see if we could make an announcement and talk to students about ranked choice voting for a couple of minutes. Uh, we reached out to as many clubs as we could, and we reached out to the administration to see if we could work together on um, outreach activities to just let the uh, student population know what ranked choice voting is, how you navigate it, and how you use it to empower yourself, right? Um, and so what we ended up doing were, you know, those kinds of events. And we also made a point to organize one big ranked choice voting workshop for every single campus that we had. Uh, we just, you know, um, called everyone on our student list and the students that showed up, uh, we ended up um, doing a huge ranked choice voting workshop for every single campus uh, alongside those smaller ranked choice voting um, outreach activities that I told you about. So basically we just did our best to um, organize digital outreach events for ranked choice voting. Um, I, I wish that I was able to you know, do more. I wish that I was able to um, you know, do more in-person stuff as, as an organizer, but I, 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 I'm pretty content in knowing that we, we did our best, uh, you know, with the restrictions that we had. Um, we also did um, a, an Instagram live uh, outreach uh, activity. So students who are following us on social media, they were able to check in on that. Um, and I think we also have one more Instagram live uh, focused on ranked choice voting uh, set for um, this Friday. So we just wanna make sure that we're doing as much as possible, just letting every single student know who's on our list. You know, Do you know about ranked choice voting? Do you have any questions? And one more thing that I could say is that we also have um, uh, digital office hours available to all NYPIRC students every single week. That's something that we um, have done a lot of outreach on, so our students know about that. So if they have any questions about voting or specifically about ranked choice voting, uh, they could just hop into our Zoom room um, uh, during that time and they could just have a one-on-one -on -one session and ask someone questions about ranked choice voting. So. Um, yeah, we just uh, did all the digital things, right? Social media, uh, Zoom events, um, you know, let, let students know. And uh, at this point, I think, you know, we've, we've done everything that we can and fingers crossed uh, we, reached, we reached as many students as we could.
Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. And your and your like know your rights at the polls resources are really great if students don't know about those and are intimidated about like what they need to prepare to go to the polls. That stuff is really helpful to you. We do have on our very famous library buzz blog a explainer of a little bit about the election and like what, you know, a lot of links um, and a kind of a quick explainer for ranked choice voting. And I think it is a good initiative that will empower more grassroots candidates to actually just be not throw away votes. You know, and people will see that that these candidates are supported, even without you know people feeling like their vote's going to go in like a third party space or whatever. <laughs> but I think yeah, a lot of people are confused about it. So yeah, I, I understand your. And also, we tried to do the census with you guys too um, on our campus. So I know the challenge. We did a digital census initiative that was pretty low engagement. Um, I really appreciate your both your time and all of the work that you're doing and the efforts that you're doing to do this work digitally. And it's this has been a really great conversation. So I guess, is there any last thing that you'd like to say to our listeners as an outro, um, like one thing that they should keep in mind as we go into this elect- election season or one thing that should be on the top of their head? Um, I'm really glad you mentioned the office hours, Tausif, because I think that that's a great resource that students should know about. And obviously social media, we'll definitely release this on City Tech social media and tag you guys so you can share it with your, um, you know, with the people who are following you on Instagram and and Twitter and stuff. So yeah, Abigail, do you have one final message? Oh, wow. A final message? Probably not. I don't think I'll ever be done in this lifetime. Yeah, office hours were good. We did that with SGA last semester, but I think we're going to like, we apparently have a, and I did not know this, the campus has a Discord server. So we're going to be working with the social media department to get the SGA on that, which I think would be more significant than just simple virtual office hours. Because we did that last semester, but I think if you're not really getting the student engagement as much, it doesn't count because they don't know it and they don't realize it and they're not going to get engaged on that level. I think Nyperk has the one advantage. They have those lovely weekly meetings, which I, I have to think about what I want to do with, about that with SGA because I think SGA in the past was was far less engaged than what it should have been in the pandemic and no one was at fault because that was just like the type of cards we were dealt and we were behind the eight ball from the very beginning. Um, But I think coming into this, like I've already set up like one unofficial meeting. I'll probably set up more. And once the official ones start next month, I really want to get the ball rolling. Um, We have a, very social media friendly like slate so we have people who are like very much let's design something i know let's put something up there let's tweet let's instagram let's do this so it's gonna be fun um but i think the last thing um for students watching this most importantly is to remain engaged it's true it's municipal offices and there are, I'm not looking at it right now, so I forgot the exact issues that are on the ballot, but there are issues. And, and they'll impact us this year. And getting out the primaries and making sure the candidates we want to run in the general election are out there is very significant. 
and the general election will roll around. And that's significant. And then guess what? For next year, we're going to do the same for the state. The state governor is up next year. And we have an opportune chance to get a black ADD. What else? Did he, he has something else besides ADD. Um, I forget. Running for governor. We have a chance to have an Obama moment here, too. It's like, seriously, there are a lot of good opportunities. And I think it, it's that staying game. You see this now, you're like, woof, woof, let me get up there. And you're getting up there and your energy goes. And you get up there and full and your energy goes. Take your rest, but get the hell back up there. We need to stay engaged. We have a future we can shape. The past is dying off. The present is here now. The future is coming. If we keep our eyes on it, we can shape it. And we can really make it good. Stay interested. Stay read up. And vote, 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 vote until like it's as, it's as, it's as easy as when you walk down the street, you breathe in, you breathe out. You vote, you walk out of the ballot. You vote, you walk out of the election place. You vote, you walk out. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. That's how simple it should be. Yeah, thanks for the reminder of the gubernatorial election. We should keep that impression in our mind. I was thinking about it. Oh, uh, we should really start pounding that early. Well, I'm always, you know, I'm always hoping that Cuomo listens to our podcast, even though I know he doesn't. Shout out, hashtag, and CUNY Austerity. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tausif, do you want a uh, last message for our listener? Yeah, um, I think that, you know, something that's really um, made me excited over the pandemic is that, you know, as a student advocacy organization, um, every single year, one of our biggest priorities is, um, you know, getting more money and more funding for CUNY and SUNY. Um, this year, uh, in all my years of working for NYPIRG, um, we have had the most favorable budget um, ever uh, from the New York State Legislature um, to my utter shock to be honest, um, because we um, never get as much as we asked for this year. Um, and uh, it's because we were really able to organize a lot of students um, digitally um, over uh, over this time period. And that's something that politicians definitely noticed, right? We were able to, um, you know, it sounds silly, but like if a politician comes into like a Zoom event that we organize and they see 300 students there, they're like, oh, wow, that's a lot of power that they've built in that community. I need to respect that power. And so um, just because there are a lot of barriers to organizing right now doesn't mean that you're organizing um, will be fruitless. So um, politicians are always, you know, watching, watching out for that. So if you could, you know, mobilize people with a message that really resonates with them, uh, that is work that is always worth doing. Um, and, you know, just to echo what Abigail said about uh, the upcoming election, um, you know, we have a very important election here in New York City um, on the 22nd. Uh, as Nora mentioned before, early voting uh, starts this weekend. So you could vote in person if you want. You can apply for an absentee ballot if you want. You could vote early if you want. You have a lot of options um, thanks to the advocacy that, um, you know, voter rights advocates have been doing here in New York State uh, for a long, long time. And uh, my pitch for, you know, why you should 
um, you know, vote, especially uh, in New York City's elections, is that in New York City, we have over $90 billion uh, in our New York City budget. That's a lot of money. And that's a lot of power. The mayor and the New York City Council are basically in charge of that money. It's really as simple as that. And so you want to vote for the best candidates um, who are going to be accountable to your needs and your desires um, for mayor and for city council uh, with ranked choice voting. You could rank up to five and we definitely want you to rank up to five because that means that you have the most uh, level of influence on your ballot as candidates get eliminated. Um, so, yeah, remember, you know, people are definitely paying attention to budget issues right now, whether or not a department should have more more money, have less money, whether or not it should be defunded completely, right? There are issues like that going on. I'm being coy here. I know it's an issue that a lot of people are thinking about, but <laughs> yeah. that's just like one big example of budget justice. And that's just one piece of the pie, right? I really hope moving forward, people realize, okay, that is, you know, one, um, you know, there, there are very big budget justice conversations happening right now, but I really want people to move forward and think like, how can we just maximize our power over the $90 billion plus that we have here in New York City, right? And so that's definitely an organizing um, strategy that I um, hope that more people look to in the future. Because, you know, whatever you think about, we need money, right? We need money for housing. We need money for our parks. We need money for education. We need money for mental health services. The list can go on and on and on. And really, as a New Yorker, you have the power to say, hey, you know that $90 billion that we have in our city budget? I think some of that money should be used for this problem that I care about. Um, so that's why this election is important. That's why every election moving forward is important. Um, but yeah, now that we have ranked choice voting, I think elections in New York City are going to be more exciting. They're going to be spicier. And I definitely hope that we take advantage of this new system. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, yeah I absolutely agree. And to like just come on to something quickly that Tos have said. Yeah, $90 billion. We seriously have one of the largest municipal budgets in this whole country. There, 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 are, there, there are states with budgets that are less than our city. There are countries with budgets less than our seriously. city. Seriously. <laughs> so, like, we should get out there and vote, knowing how much influence we have. Yeah. And I think, you know, Tasso, thank you so much for like emphasizing the importance of down, down ballot. Um, the, the city council is so important. Uh, people don't pay attention. Vote. Find out who is running for city council in your district. Find out all the people that you would vote for that you would want to run and you can write them in order of friends and you can get someone in that represents your values because they are going to decide about things like transit, things about schools, things about housing, things about land use, things about the environment. This is like, this is my... This is my dead horse that I keep beating, but I really appreciate you emphasizing that and the power that the city council has over the budget. Um, you know, and it's it's really just like the matter of reading up on those candidates and, and seeing where they're at and, and who represents you the best. So I, I so much appreciate your time. Um, we will edit this a little bit and hopefully get it out um, in the next like week or so, because we definitely want to get it on the airwaves before um, before the primaries, obviously. <laughs> um, yes, I appreciate your advocacy so much. Thank you guys for being here. And I know we went a little over the hour, so I hope I'm not keeping you from anything. But think, yeah, really uh, great to meet you, Tassif. Hope we can be in touch. Yeah, yeah, like, this has been great to stuff. meet you too. It's the first time I met you and I'm on the yeah, board yeah. of directors. We'll, we'll be seeing each other more often, I think. 
I think so. Yeah, I mean, I really miss, like, we used to just go, like, screen print with Nyberg on campus <laughs> and make buttons. Like, I can't yeah, wait till yeah. those days are back. Yeah, it makes so. You, it makes you really appreciate those times, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the, the virtual club hours are something, but they're not the yeah. same. <laughs> yeah. This has been City Tech Stories. Subscribe so you don't miss our next episode wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.